Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Will a regional bank carnage create systemic stress? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is George Goncalves, head of U.S. macro strategy at MUFG. Hi, George. How are you? Hi, Maggie. I'm great. You know, we're going to have to stop meeting like this because every time you have me on, it's like, there's a crisis, you know, brewing somewhere. So it's so true. It's so true. And this is one that I know that you've been worried about and we have talked about. But of course, now we're really seeing things accelerate. We have U.S. regional banks under severe pressure again, one day after Fed Chair Jay Powell reassured everybody that the system was sound and resilient uh, and tried to sort of downplay any trouble. Uh seemingly ignoring what's going on, although, you know, we can discuss that. I think he was trying to maybe calm nerves of the general public. But in any case, it's sort of extraordinary to see what's happening, um, specifically when you look at things like PacWest and Western Alliance. Um, we see some of the ugly charts, hopefully, uh, up on the screen. So, you know, what is your assessment? What's happening here? So, like, we're, you know, I still think in the early innings of investors trying to discern, you know, the liquidity have and have nots. Um, We've we've seen uh, for the last basically year or so a transformation in the in the banking system, largely because the price of money went up, so rates are higher, creating a you know, competition for the banking system, going towards the money markets, and the, all that through the RRP, which is another tool the Fed has out there, and just in general a you know the quantitative tightening and the shrinking of the Fed's balance sheet, after a time where the banking system had had gotten accustomed to a lot of liquidity, so. You know, this kind of like about face and the, the aggressiveness of the Fed's policy of, of both like easing way too much and then now tightening too much is causing the, the banking system to, to really suffer some whiplash. So, but you know, we've heard people say this. Well, it's, it, it's not a solvency problem this time around like it was in 08. It's something else. Is that accurate? And what's is it just a confidence issue? Look, it's uh, I think. Uh, there's a little bit of both going on here. Um, for one, yes, when you talk about the treasury holdings and the mortgage holdings, you know, at some point those are gonna pay out over time. The question really is where they've been marked. But then there's also the fact that you know, these you know, institutions in you know, by and large also offer out credit. And if we are at a point where the you know, economic cycle is turning down, and I think it is, we move from the rate story to the credit story, which I think that's starting to get factored into. So it's not just the fact that, yes, there's been a lot of bond holdings that are underwater, and therefore, that you know, if you had to crystallize those losses, you know, most banks would be suffering uh, a hit to capital. I mean, that goes without saying, but that's not the way the system works. So I think there's a combination of concerns around you know, where the bond market or the bonds of these individual banks are are being marked at, but it's probably bigger than that. I think if this were to continue, it's the market's shifting from not just rate concerns, but also the credit that's you know embedded in the in all the loans that were done in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's an important point, George, because you know we we look at some of the banks and they're under pressure. Clearly, the market investors are moving on and trying to identify the ones they think feel are the weakest right now. But we have people in the chat saying, 
well, it doesn't seem that bad. KRE is only down 5%. You know, we don't want to be alarmist. We just want to try to get a sense of what's going on. So it seems a day after the Fed chair says everything's fine to see these kind of losses seems to be problematic. Is it an issue that could turn into something systemic? Should we be looking at the KRE and not individual banks? Kind of give me on the scale of how serious this is, how we should be thinking about this. Well, look, it's it's serious when any sort of bank failures take place at any level uh, at any time in, in history. So I think it's, it is a serious issue that we're dealing with. Um, and it's still early days in how it's going to be all resolved. I mean, the way that you know, the first few bank failures went through and then the way the most recent one went through, you know, they're, they're, they're learning on the go. And that they meaning the policymakers on how to prescribe some sort of solution to this. But at the same time, though, if if banks that are, you know, you know, uh, under concern, I mean, who's going to provide them new capital? If, it, if the capital has to come from some version of government support, then private investors are just not going to step up. And I think that's really the issue here, that potentially there's been an unintended consequence by the precedents that have been put in place with the last few failures, that who's going to step up and buy the banks when you can kind of wait for them to get even cheaper? Yeah, so I think uh... this is... The- Exactly. This is this is what no, one of our uh, viewers, uh, no one knows thyself, is <laughs> saying. I always trip over your handle. Uh, did the Fed inadvertently create a moral hazard by letting FRQ's equity get wiped out and then JPM comes in to buy the bank's assets? This would give short sellers no incentive to cover any regional shorts. It, it, it does complicate the situation. And I think then you, on top of that, you had to think uh, news that you know short bans are not going to be allowed either. So I, I don't know how this gets resolved other than, you know, just through the passage of time and, and investors really figuring out where there is value within the banking system. You know, that's going to, that, you know, this is a very impatient market. This is, an, this is a market that now knows where, you know, the liquidity shortfalls are. And even if deposits don't continue to fly out, now we're moving towards the economic macro implications that will hurt banks over the course of the next three to six months, if not, you know, you know, sooner. So I, I think this is you know, definitely a pressing matter. And I still think it's early innings until we get a better solution from either the government or some sort of, you know, coordination with, with the Fed. So like this is an FDIC Fed thing at some point where they're going to have to come and the, and the Treasury. Um, you know, there was during the savings and loan crisis, um, a resolution trust corporation, but there was, uh, you know, the need to kind of uh, provide support to a lot of the small banks. Um, we'll see how it goes. Mm. So they'd have to come up with an entity to kind of manage this, is what you're saying. I mean, ultimately, at some point, like who's going to provide capital is the main question that we're, we're looking at. Or the Fed has to cut rates two to 300 basis points in the next six months. They might end up doing that. Which is what the market's kind of, at least if they're not anticipating, they're hedging that possibility, right? But will it, will it be fast enough to cure the assets that are underwater and have lost value? That's the dilemma. So. At, you know, if, the, if, if it's all about having capital in the system that will prevent sort of these kind of bank walks turning into bank runs, as some people are calling it, or actually banks not even getting the capital they need and seeing investors fleeing on the equity side, you might need a like a TARP version where the banks get injected with, with government preferred type capital. And no one likes to hear that because it doesn't sound like the right thing to do. But uh, I mean, or like the capitalist thing to do, but it is the right thing to do if you really truly want to stem this from getting worse. 
is there a line in the sand for you? Where, what are you looking at that would start to concern you that this thing is systemic? Because all we had is everyone say it's regional. They're going to, you're going to have failures. They're going to come in. They're going to work it out. But it just doesn't seem like that's what's happening. It seems like it's accelerating. Where, where's the line that you start to get concerned that this becomes systemic? I mean, I think once you get into the top 15, top 10 banks, if they start to really under, under more pressure, um, if there is forced selling to make up, to, to, to actually, you know, shore up some of the balance sheets, when you start to see that forced selling, that's that's worse. I mean, especially on the asset side of, of these banks. So I, I'm not sure if we're there yet. Hopefully we don't get there, but this is, you know, this is a work in progress. And it's also, it's... It, it, is this limited to the U.S. or is this something we need to worry about globally? We saw the ECB hiked rates again today, although smaller than they had been doing, but they're also still hiking. I mean, I think eventually we'll, we're going to find out and, and learn soon enough that the whole system has been set to a low rate environment. And you know, although central banks are trying to fight the inflation war, uh, you know, if you trigger a recession, you're going to clearly kill the, the recession war, especially if you end up impairing the banks along the way. So. I think it is a, it is a global problem, not just a U.S. problem. It's it starts in the U.S. because we did the most uh, um, tightening and the quickest, and we also are seeing the Fed's balance sheet shrinking. Um, ECB is trying to do this for the first time as well. They're doing QT for the first time. ECB has swung rates around over 300 basis points. And the, their banking system is also dependent on low rates and their overall economy as well. So it, it it will, I think, at some point also make its way overseas. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Do, do you think the Fed is OK with this level of what appears to be consolidation in the U.S. banking sector? Is this something they want? Is this they, Do they just see this as inevitable or is there a concern? Uh, I don't think they are trying to engineer or anything. I mean, I think there's always people that are trying to speculate on what the intent is. But I think this, you know, they, they're sticking to the monetary policy side of why they did what they've done up, to, up until now. But now I do think that they paused at this last meeting and they're going to have to start to tinker with uh, how to you know, manage the financial side of it and the, and the banking side. Uh, a lot of the, the Fed's liquidity is locked up in the reverse repo program. And that liquidity could get released back into to support the bond market if the Fed were to tinker on, on it and also cut rates. So this, this is you know, largely still coming back to how the Fed ends up engineering what they want to get uh, later on from a monetary side. I don't think they're trying to change the composition of the U.S. system. Mm. I, I want to talk about the economy and the Fed and, and you know, some of the effects perhaps that we're going to be fe- are going to be felt in the real economy. But there is a, a, a chart you send over that... I think is really important and, and really clear, and you kind of, uh, kind of put the hospital room analogy on it. Um, and in your summary, regional banks aren't the only ones on the ropes, right? You list who's in the infirmary and who's in the ER. This is a long and disturbing list, George. It really is. Unfortunately, I mean, it, it's a, it's almost like a pecking order that I've been using for the last two years, and it, and it's basically worked its way through. And now we're at this, the firewall aspect, which is the banks, but feeding into the banks will be what happens with commercial real estate. This, this is where the whole credit channel probably becomes for a large swath of the U.S. banking system. So that, in, you know, th- that still is in the ER. I don't think we've 
seeing that really get really marked to market. And there's a lot more of that ahead. And that could further exacerbate the issues with the banks themselves. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's a big one. The uh, corporate profit recession one is, I think, um, also front and center. I mean, although earnings, we've had a tendency to be beating earnings, uh, which have been managed lower, by the way, uh, for the last three or four quarters while we've been going into this slowdown. I think now, you know, Q2, Q3, given the, the credit availability, credit conditions tightening as much as they've had, and just in general, the economy is looking like it's going into that, 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 that recession that everyone's been kind of calling for. Um, I think this is where the profit recession kicks in, but it's also this kind of a perverse reality where, you know, although we're seeing layoffs on the job side, there's a decent amount of labor hoarding because we spent, we meaning corporate America has spent so much time hiring back people, they're reluctant to let them go. And so you're going to see profit margins compress as everyone's in a kind of stalemate. Is this really a bad recession or not? And, and I think like, like the profit recession that's coming to the to the equity market, coupled with what's happening here with the banking system, is what's going to finally see investors relent, and you finally get that final last uh, drawdown in the in the markets. So, and for those who may be driving or walking and listening to this audio only, I just want to read through the emergency room and the infirmary room. So, the emergency rooms, the folks, you know, it's flashing red. I mean, this isn't these are areas where there's a, a big amount of strain. Commercial real estate. Corporate profits, you mentioned both of those, passive ETF redemptions, private equity, credit reprice deals, pensions, insurance, all asset risk. That's emergency room. And in the infirmary, crypto high beta SPACs, U.S. housing activity REITs, historic bond market losses, regional banking sector, consumer finance, autos, et cetera. As I said, this, is a, this covers a lot of areas. This sounds like it's negative for everything, for the economy and for bonds and stocks. It, so for credit for credit bonds, I think we're now at the point where the buying the dip on, and it has been happening for really the last four months in the, in the treasury market, where there is, uh, people are going to be defensive, they're going to hide in duration. Uh, I mean, I haven't even listed some of the more, you know, near-term risks like the debt ceiling, which is a whole other topic. But in terms of financial risks that are out there, this would be the sequence of events. And we've already seen those five basically go into the infirmary and they're not looking like they're going to come out anytime soon. Um, and they're really dependent on Fed liquidity and the price of money. And those things aren't changing until the Fed actually changes its tune. And so far, we haven't heard that from the Fed. And they're going to try to hold the line as long as possible. We have the bond market now pricing in cuts in July. Probably a little bit too soon. Wow. But yeah, this, this is... a is a fast market. I mean, we're now at the year-to-date lows for the five-year rate. Um, so we've, we've basically gotten the, the rates market to now accept that this is probably going to be a negative outlook uh, over the over the, the second half of the year into tw early 24. Other asset classes, especially credit and equities, are still disconnected. So a big reprice has to come. It's the only way. I. Do you see that happening? What's your time frame for that? Because it, th it feels like things are ra moving rapidly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you need like catalysts, right? So that's why I think um, the earnings season um, over the course of the summer as we get Q2, what happens with the debt ceiling? What happens with European banks and the overall um, liquidity that they're, they're going to be um, uh, rolling off uh, through the, the LTROs from the ECB? 
Um, so, the, you know, and also just in, in general, the summers were a time where people rethink their investment strategies after a pretty, again, another tough year where we're really not going anywhere. Um, and if, if you get to a point where it looks like there's going to be a liquidity draining uh, event you know, combined with this uncertainty that lingers, then I think people throw in the towel September, October. I mean, you can never time these things perfectly. Who, right. knows, who knows exactly when? But to, to suggest that the October low was the final low, I think that's gave, it's given a lot of people a false sense of confidence. Mm. And I think that's going to come back to haunt a lot of a lot of investors. And I think then finally we'll get that flush out, which will create the conditions for the Fed to ease. Ultimately, we're trying to figure out a way, is inflation under control enough so the Fed can ease? I think it will be. And then if we get into a recession that will ensure that we don't get inflation flaring back up again, then the Fed can cut rates two to 300 basis points over the course of the next year. But they can't do it until they actually have a catalyst. And so we're kind of in this stalemate. So that's so interesting. We have a big monthly jobs number coming out. The data has been mixed, right? It hasn't been falling off a cliff. And in fact, in some cases, it's turned up. You've seen a little bit, some of the price components and things, you know, running a little hot again, or at least above expectations. They're still lower from peak, sure, but they don't seem to be rapidly moving south, which is what you need for the Fed. It, it, is that just, what, when, when, do, when would we see them substantially turn that it would finally get the Fed's attention? And what do you expect from the jobs number tomorrow? I mean, look, the jobs number, it's, it's, a, it's anyone's guess, to be honest. At this point, considering how the, you know, the calibration of these models and just where we are in the business cycle, it could, it could be you know, uh, consistent with the underlying growth trend of 125, 150,000 jobs. It could be 250, 300. I don't think anyone really knows. It's, it's, it's going to be really hard. It's, it's more about uh, what, you know, what's leading to that sort of job creation. Are they part-time job workers, full-time workers? You know, what's going on with the average work week, which has been decelerating, uh, multiple job holders, like that sort of second layer um, underneath the surface in the jobs market is what matters now if we truly are heading into a slowdown. But even today's Challenger Gray survey, you know, the fourth month in a row of job losses and counting, that typically only happens at the precipice or at the beak or in the recession. So we're either there or getting very close to it. And all the other indicators, although they they're mixed, but they're the backward-looking indicators. So all the forward-looking indicators, you know, the, the six months change on the cumulative um, continuing claims, um, you know, the, all the LEIs, all the PMIs regionally, you know, we might have a little bit of a stagflation feel because prices paid her up, but I wouldn't view that as a sense of strength. If anything, that's concerning. So I, I think that we're, we're there. I mean, if we're not in a recession uh, by September, October, then we're never going to really be in one, and we're probably just going to bounce along the bottom. Uh, but I, I do think, given this sort of credit crunch that we're going through, you know, it, you're, you're seeing it in the freight transportation data. Real-time indicators are showing the economy is decelerating pretty fast. So it should show up in the, you know, over the course of Q2 into the summer. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. One of the one of the in your uh, report that you sent over, there was a line that really jumped out at me, and it said a leveraged financial system cannot afford high rates. Does that does that mean the Fed's forced to ease? They have to. I mean, it, it comes down to you know what's going on with financial conditions, and that's why this bank story is so critical. So at some point, yes, I mean, they might have to be forced to ease because if we find if if this, the scenario that I'm envisioning takes hold, and you get um, 
equity markets finally realizing that we're not going to see earnings upticking in Q3 and Q4. And in fact, they're going to be flat to lower. And you got to get you know, the final flush on risk assets coupled with the, the, the stress in the banking system, which doesn't go away overnight. Then, yes, they're going to have to ease. Uh, Edward is asking, are you bullish or bearish the long end of the curve? I mean, I'm much more um, you know, looking for steepeners. I think the curve um, should be steepening because if the Fed were to change policy here, and at the same time, there's going to be a lot more issuance if we do go into an economic slowdown. You know, the government, you know, will, you know, like it or not, we've kind of opened up the can after COVID with fiscal stimulus. So fiscal stabilizers will come back in and the government's going to have to issue more debt. And so that, you know, you're going to see more overall long-term debt and, and, and that's going to you know, require a premium out the curve. So I'd, I'd be much more favorable on the front end of the curve as well as the steepeners. What do you think happens to the dollar in this environment? Uh, the dollar in this environment most likely has weaker, but there, you have these episodes where it comes down to the risk-off scenario. So it, it depends on like how fast the risk-off scenario is. If it's a kind of flash in the pan and we get there and you flush out uh, those that were expecting a kind of a, a, a soft landing, which is still out there, um, then maybe that dollar rally will be short-lived and you won't even... It's not even worth being set up for it because what, what will follow will be a, do, a weaker dollar as they're adding more stimulus to the system. Uh, someone asking, uh, G asking, if we cut rates and especially as by as much as the market's anticipating, then doesn't inflation come back? Then what? Yeah, so what, what, what I'm, what I'm going to see here, if you look at this chart, you know, kind of comparing the current experience over the last five, 10 years of inflation relative to the late 60s through the early 80s inflation cycles. And you had like two, two to three big waves of inflation. The first wave, I argue, we've already gone through it. And this is when the Fed says they want to avoid repeating the, you know, the mistakes of the 1970s. It's largely this, this uh, situation where you, um, you ease too much and then you reflare inflation. And you get a, a second wave of inflation. So right now we're turning the corner. So inflation is turning lower. So the solid red line is the actual data. The dotted red line is my projections of where I think inflation is heading over the course of the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Then we get to this kind of trough, and it's going to come down to, like, does the Fed hold the line? At some point, they're going to have to you know, not go to zero again and do QE. And this is where the markets will be disappointed. Uh, so initially, they, you know, if they cut rates and if they stop QT, because they probably would have to at some point, then you might get a relief rally in the markets. But then you know, the idea that they're going to turn on QE, they're not turning on QE again unless it gets really, really bad. So like we, so we're basically then, then from that point forward, we're going to be operating to pure fundamentals of what is you know, the growth uh, um, capability of the U.S. economy. And the Fed's going to try to have to modulate inflation. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, it seems like uh, we, we, we've been joking and the only thing that keeps coming uh, in our minds is between a rock and a hard place. You know, it just seems that that is where the Fed finds themselves. Jo John asking, George, if banks are not buying bonds and sovereigns are not buying bonds, then who buys all the new issuance from the U.S. government? Well, I mean, there's a large uh, you know, real money set and they're obviously um, uh, you know, buying bonds and, and there's a lot of other investors, not just those, those few. And foreign bond, foreign investors have been, you know, coming into to, to the you know, to the data. We can see that uh, in some of the publicly available data. So the, you know, the, it's 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 there's always a buyer at the right price, and this is not 
this is now no longer about like the supply demand issues of the U.S. government. It's about like the flight to quality, flight to safety. So when that happens, that overwhelms any concerns about like who's buying our debt. It's 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 what you park in, in, in where there's safety, which is like, really again still just the treasury market. Some people have been looking abroad. Uh, you know, given the situation we have here, maybe Asia is attractive. I don't know. Are are you considering? anything globally as a way or as a place maybe to sort of hide from this or protect yourself? Or do you just have to go to the absolute safest asset you can find? I mean, I think you need to position yourself for value opportunities down the road. There's going to be value in a whole host of uh, sectors within the U.S. complex, but also overseas. Because if, if the U.S. truly does go into a recession, it's going to be hard for the rest of the world to escape that as well. And then, then it's all about the you know figuring out not just the Fed pivot, but when does the market realize that maybe it's not that bad, and the Fed by re-steepening the curve, the banks' portfolios get back in the money, they they, they return back to par, and when the banks are you know feeling better about themselves, they'll start growing and lending again as well, and you know start to see that really benefit you know, the growth sides of, of the economy here and also overseas, uh, and, you know in in you know in EM in EM space, but you don't put on that trade before. You see this work its way through. Mm. Uh, we have um, people asking about all different kinds of things, and you can tell people are concerned about sort of how to. It's about capital preservation, I suppose. At this point, haven't heard anyone mention or ask about gold or metals or some of the traditional, you know, commodity plays uh, that people <laughs> turn to at a time like this. What are your thoughts about that? Is that something you're looking at, or again? Um, is does gold not hold that for you just because it's 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 kind of been stuck here at this level for so long? No, I look. I do think that um, yeah, I, although I don't really specifically forecast what's going to happen to gold or precious metals, but if what typically happens after a very extreme tightening cycle followed by an eventual easing cycle, it will benefit you know the precious metals and 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 hard assets, right? So hard assets will likely benefit. And, and and if you look at the price action of what gold's been doing for the last you know, six weeks, two months, really, it's 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 already starting to act that way, that eventually we know how this all ends and there's going to be a need for some intervention. And that likely will be dilutive to you know, the currency side, right, to, mm -hmm. to fiat currencies. And so I think that the precious metal angle um, you know, probably uh, you know, play, should play an important role in most people's portfolios. But again, it's, it's a trading vehicle. And you have to be careful on entry points and location because you can have a situation where you could, this can die off for a little bit like we did between March and then mid-April and everyone kind of forgot that we had this banking issue. Uh, meanwhile, it was still festering in the background. And you can have that happen over the course of the summer if we get a temporary kick the can on the debt ceiling, if the data looks a little bit better. You know, people are internally optimistic that we're not going to go into a recession. And the longer that, that gets pushed back, then the safety plays will, will would suffer from that. I mean, I would argue that would be a time to average in, but still, that's the risk. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are watching. I don't think it's out yet. Apple's going to be reporting after the bell. Uh, do you look at big tech here, either from an equity or a credit point of view? <laughs> so the, the overall tech sector has been acting almost like another safety boat, just like treasuries. I mean, it'd be the largest part of the S&P index, right? Nearly 25% of the index. Uh, I mean, that's largely, it's kind of what's held up the equity market in general, right? There hasn't been 
broad participation within the equity rally of late. And so, of course, tech, tech's super important. Um, I just think that it's probably also run its course. I mean, how much more can it really go here uh, if we're heading into a you know, corporate profits recession where there's going to be less spending on technology, especially after all the technology spending that happened you know, two years after COVID? So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned that it was a flight to quality trade and the true flight to quality is going to go back to treasuries. Mm. And for for high yields, I mean, people have just been waiting and waiting for those spreads to widen, and it still has been acting fairly well, considering all of the, if we go back to your infirmary and emergency room, uh, do we start to see that really conditions there really deteriorate and is moving up in terms of quality any better, or do you just have to stay out of the corporate bond market for the moment? Uh, look, I think IG, again, I've said it a thousand times, again, I think I'm only on when things are going bad, so <laughs> the... Uh, you know, the front end of the curve and IG is probably safe uh, at the index level. Um, but I, I do think that high yields will, at this point, once we get into the, the credit contraction period, they're going to also see, um, you know, spreads widen. And so it's it's just the other side of the risk trade. It, it's another concern that we have. And I don't think high yield is immune to it. So if equities go down, high yields are going down with it. Uh, so as we close out, George, is there a risk that you think is underappreciated by the market right now? You know, a lot of people are in the emergency room. I saw you insurance on there, private credit. You know, we're talking about regional banks, but do you worry about something bigger going in? Well, I mean, look, I've been characterizing this death by a thousand cuts, right? It's been just kind of methodical, always coming at us. And so far, you know, the, the markets have taken these body blows, but I, I do think that it's going to be that day of reckoning where you have to sell what you have to sell and you get, you know, the kind of proof that we are truly heading into the slowdown and the Fed won't cut right away unless it sees proof of it. It's kind of this, uh, you know, this kind of tug of war, uh, chicken and egg, like what comes first. Uh, they're not going to move until something gets really bad. And we could argue if it's really bad already. But nonetheless, I do think it's going to have to be like this culmination of you know, some either really bigger names get into under pressure or actual forced selling to uh, to kind of get some liquidity from these portfolios. I think that and then if that exposes the weakness on the other um, you know, kind of entities that are on that list, then, then it becomes much more difficult because we can't bail out the pension system nor the insurance mm -hmm. companies. There's just not enough balance sheet out there. So you have to stem the, the bleeding at some point. Absolutely. Well, I think somebody in the chat yesterday said, strap in and keep your powder dry. And that's, that seems like good advice based on what you've just told us, George. Absolutely. George, we appreciate you coming on. One day we're going to be, it's going to be like rah-rah, everything's going to be positive, but it's not right now. And we appreciate you uh, helping us understand it so we, that we can protect ourselves. So, so appreciate you being on. Thanks for having me. And we're going to be back tomorrow for extended RV daily briefing with Joe Zhao. And we have a deep dive with Andreas and Michael Cow, which should be really interesting. That's at 1 p.m. live. So if you're not a member, scan the QR code, sign up in the description. They're going to be taking your questions. So it should be a really interesting um, way to wrap up the week with both of those. And of course, crypto daily briefing as well. So we'll see you all then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.